Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it. Thank you for Sunday, May 31st, the last day of May, last day of my yes. birthday month. How are you doing, Alicia? I am good, but you know what? Your, your birthday was, was over a long time ago. <laughs> no, it was not. I celebrate the entire whole month. You know what? I had clients and family and friends send mm-hmm. over balloons, and my the salon was just lit with balloons. I had balloons all in my bedroom. Oh, so my I goodness. celebrate all month long, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, I celebrate so, a couple months, no, so you're okay. <laughs> oh, do you? Uh, yes. Uh, so you have you don't have room to talk. Really. Exactly. Yes, but so normally this is a point where I will say, how was your weekend? But I know exactly how your weekend, your weekend was just as fabulous as mine. Go ahead and tell everybody what we did. Well, you're correct. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, If you listened to last week's show where we talked about branding yourself, um, we did a wonderful interview with the entire panel, but we interviewed Tiffany Emerge Boyle, and we announced mm-hmm. May 29th she was going to have her Emerge magazine premiere at the City Club of Washington in Washington, D.C. And as you well know, because you were there, um, everything from the red carpet event, the venue, yeah. just the wonderful sponsors in the powerhouse, people that were in that room and the connections that were made, everything was divine. Um, did you feel, did you feel, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did you feel the overwhelming sense of support? It's, you know, sometimes you go to an event and, you know, uh, you see people that are talking about things, there are a lot of negativity spreading, but I felt yes. so much support that was rallied around um, Tiffany and their efforts. And then all the people, her family, the speech that her aunt gave, um, and yes. then, you know Nate Whitfield, our own Nate, Nate Whitfield, saying yes. two songs had the audience on their feet. So um, it was Nate. an amazing experience. Amazing it was. experience. And yeah. like you said, yeah. it was really an environment where there was so much support and so much collaboration. Um, so you have right. people that have done it, they're doing it, and you have all of their managers and PR people. So it was like, you know, there's no way you could be there in the atmosphere and not have a new work, network, a new connection, a new dimension, a new whatever. So it was awesome. Exactly. And just to see exactly. how her vision has came forward and just to see how it's mm-hmm. going to go forward, it was amazing to be there. Amazing. Yes. And I know I was working the red carpet. I was a little bit late because traveling up to D.C. was Ooh. hectic. Uh, so we were a little well, bit late. We got there fashionably late, which is not good for a red carpet host, but we got there in one piece. Fashionable. Um, yeah, <laughs> and they had you were looking marvelous in that gown. Um, Thank you. I'm going to post pictures on our Facebook page so our listeners can go and check out how, how sharp we were that evening. We were but, sharp. Um, we had a yes, really, we were. Yeah, we had a really good time. And then afterwards, I really enjoyed bonding with you. We had one of our other co-hosts. Janae Kay, who was the event planner yes. for the event, she was there. Did she did awesome a marvelous job. So let's give kudos to Janae. 
she did a wonderful job at doing that. I was proud of her. Um, can't wait yeah. till she um, puts ours together. We're going to have um, something I'm going to talk to you about to launch some things that oh, we're, okay. we're working on. Uh huh. So I got yeah, but we have set. a good All show right. tonight. Yeah, yes, yes, we yes, do. Yes, 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 definitely. Which is kind yes. of funny because, you know, well, we were at the nation's capital. <laughs> all right. That's right. You're right. So, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Um, we were right there. So we have, <laughs> tell us about the show that we have because we've been working on this show. We had the idea a couple of months ago, but it's kind of hard yes. um, with things going on and different people doing their um, their their campaigning and everything to get everyone to commit exactly. to a time and date. But we did it. And I want to thank we you for, for your efforts in doing so. Tell everybody what this show is about tonight. You know, this has been one of the shows, even when we were in D.C., I was getting emails and phone calls about this topic. Mm-hmm. The show is entitled Blurred Lines. And the question that is posed is, what did the party stand for? And I'll say just, right. you know, in my short lifetime, it seems the older I get, the more the party lines are blurred. You know, it's like maybe yeah. it's my imagination, but I felt like when I was younger, when you could not vote, it was very, you know, of course a lot of us had your parents vote this and your community votes this, but it was clear. If you're a Democrat, this is what you stand for. If you're a Republican, this is what you stand for. But it seems like right. over time it's, it's, it's not so. And, I, you know, I'm a little right. bit baffled sometimes by how much infighting there is, but – I don't know what either one of you now stand for. It seems like each candidate is different. So we really want to have this show. We want to have representatives from different parties come on and just tell us, you know, for this upcoming election, for the political system right now, what does your party stand for? We want to ask some questions about some of the issues. And can you tell us why people should vote for your party? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, as always, we do extensive research in getting our topics, finding our yeah. guests and everything. And it, doing my research for the show, I was really baffled on an article that I ran across, and it was entitled, Did the Founding Fathers Really Want Two Parties? It was in the Huffington Post, yeah, dated 8-31-2012, and it was written by Willard Stern Randall. And basically he was saying the founding fathers, um, again, I didn't even know that Alexander Hamilton was the founder of the Federalists, which was the forerunner of the modern-day Republican Party, did not know Uh that James Madison and Thomas Jefferson fathered the present-day Democratic Party. And originally they didn't want the two parties. They just wanted the one who basically had the most votes um, was going to be the president, and the one who had the second um, most votes were going to be the vice president. Um, because right. they felt like back in that day, they wanted a system, um, I, I guess, to them that was more fair. And also in those right. days, opposition to the new um, political leadership meant that you were in opposition to the government, which was treason. Um, so today, right. as you know how they're you know, treating some of the political people, their names are being smeared, even people who are in office today, um, I, I'm shocked. I'm sometimes even to the point where I'm just absolutely uh, irritate yeah. hearing some of the things that they're saying to about President Barack Obama. And whether your political views are Democratic or Republican or in between, he's still the person in office, and I think he's due a certain amount of respect. And I, it's been so many times where he's been disrespected. Um, back in that day, there were people who were, were killed, the whole family yeah. killed, for speaking out against whoever was in office. So um, it's going to be a very interesting show, very interesting yeah. show. But um, I'm really going to ask think, you a question. 
point. Mm-hmm. No, you know, because no one else, we probably no, have the same gonna, question. No, I was going to talk about the um, the study that I had found because I, I saw a poll, and it was on, I think, oh. debate.org. And the poll was basically asked to, I think it was 2,836 people. Should we have political parties? That was the question. I was shocked. Do you think more people said yes or more people said no? I'm thinking more people said yes. Okay. I would have thought that. Only 22% said yes, and 78% people said no. They don't think that we should have um, political parties. So I was shocked. Now I want to ask you that question. Do you think we should have political parties? You know, you always come with the humdingers, and you always have to ask me. Um, <laughs> you know, looking at the history, I understand why we they were opposed to you know against the two party system. Um, I also mm-hmm. can see where that's problematic, but I think to just have one party, it, it's not. It doesn't work for these times. I don't feel anyway. I'm not saying we should have 1,500 mm-hmm. different parties, but I think just to have one. I mean, just between two main ones, we have so much things that go on, like maybe voter fraud or, you know, you see the back and forth between the smearing of the candidates. But I I think if you had one party only, it would just be too much manipulation tactics, popularity tactics, just too many things that would, to me, just make it unfair. I don't see how that would work Mm. in modern times. What do you think? Oh my gosh! Um, I'm actually. I, I thought about both. I really thought about this. Now I thought about it, and I talked to a couple of people about it. And I, at this point, I'll say I have mixed feelings about it because, on one hand, I, I definitely feel that you know political parties may ensure that minorities definitely have a voice and that they're not drowned out by the majority's agenda, whatever that may be. But then, on the other hand. Um, I do feel like that if we didn't have these parties, the cliques, you know, the units, the, whatever these clubs are, these political clubs that nowadays really seem to just cause too much division, prohibit um, progression and growth in our country the way I see it, um, I feel that we would have to look, we would be able to look further into the candidate and see if they're qualified, look into their background versus whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat. Because I know a lot of people who just vote for whoever's a Democrat, a lot of people who just vote for whoever's the Republican. But I feel like if we didn't have these parties, these cliques, as I call them, we would actually have to examine the candidate to see if that is the most qualified person, regardless of whatever party they're in. So I'm kind of torn and between you know what? <laughs> hmm? If we did have one party, I, I definitely would not <laughs> want to be part of that whole how we can fairly examine the candidates. Yeah, yeah. That that would just be yeah. a mess. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what I are going to say about that. But first, I just want to uh-huh. remind listeners, make sure um, you, you can call in. Um, if you're listening on the website, you can call in 1713-955-0793, and you can press 1 to be part of the call queue. Um, you can also go to uh, the Blog Talk um, website for our our show and actually submit questions as well via chat. So make sure you which do is, that. Which is blogtalkradio.com forward slash yes. let's face it radio show. Yes. That's how you, but you can chat also, as she was saying, through let's face it 
radio.com. We have two chat windows open, so it's no reason that you can't get through and make, make your voice, because we have a lot of people up here. You may have questions for them. Um, it's a very fair and neutral ground, so there will be no um, altercations this evening. But we do want right. you to get your answers, your the question, the answers to your questions that you may have on this evening. Absolutely. And as Alicia was saying, you can call into the show. You don't have to press one. One, you press one only if you have a question you want to you want to speak to someone. You can just call seven one three nine five five zero seven nine three if you just want to listen from your smartphone. Or yes. Okay. I want you to press one because I want you to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And I knew that's what you wanted. Yes, but after this commercial break, we're going to be back with our very first guest, Mr. Michael Hoskinson. So you're listening to Let's Face It Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. That's DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Have you seen Dr. Roberts about that sore in your mouth? Nah, I'm sure it'll go away. But it's been weeks. It could be oral cancer. Mouth cancer? Yeah. I read that it's more common in African-American men than in any other group. All right, all right. I'll make an appointment. Do you have a tough guy in your house? Make sure he sees a doctor or a dentist if he has a sore in his mouth that lasts more than two weeks. If it is oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Hey, Dr. Phil here. You know, I help people solve difficult problems every day, but one problem has me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. Luckily, the Feeding America network of local food banks collects surplus food, giving hope to hungry children and their families. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Let's Face It. We are about to speak to a young man who is a Republican, one of the organizers for the Los Angeles and Santa Monica Tea Party. His name is Michael Hoskinson. Tell us about him, Miss Alicia. Well, I thank you very much, Al. 
Um, definitely, okay. he is the organizer of the Los Angeles and Santa Monica Tea Party, um, and very right. well informed as far as it, as as the Republican Party. So I look forward to seeing mm-hmm. the things he has to share with us. Me too. Let's talk to him. All right. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? How are you this evening? I am on the freeway in California in traffic as always. It's always traffic here. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) We want to thank you for calling in. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. We were actually in D.C. this weekend, so we we sympathize with you as far as the traffic, but I don't think ours was quite as bad as where you are. (laughs) No, I heard they have really bad traffic over there, really bad. Right. Well, that's why we try to dissuade people from moving here. Okay. 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 (laughs) So we'll cancel our reservation. All right. Yeah, I guess we'll do that. We'll fly in. Yeah. You're always welcome to come and visit. Uh, Just don't move here. Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) Well, you know, Michael, one of the things we want to know, you know, we are talking about it being blurred lines and people are very Mm -hmm. confused about who stands for what and what's what's the platform. So as far as the Republican Party slash the Tea Party, what are the beliefs, the values, and the main goal? What is the Republican platform, in your opinion? Well, your term blurred lines is, is incredibly correct today. The Republican Party is a party that is adrift from what its founding beliefs are. Uh, I am a Republican in name only. I think they call it a rhino, but uh, I am more of a conservative. I believe in the ideology of conservatism, uh, and I believe in smaller government. That would be more of a Tea Party value, where they believe in smaller government, fiscal mm-hmm. conservatism, we try to stay away from social issues, but you find in your modern Republicans that there is a its a good uh, term to put on it, crony capitalism aspect that is happening between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, where they share so many common interests now that they work against the interests of the people in general. So I am not, as you might see now, I'm not a real proponent of our, of our modern Republicans because... I think, by and large, they sell out uh, from what their original intent was. And let me ask you this. With that being said, and I think that is the biggest problem because there's a lot of people that are going for a party because of name only, but they feel lost mm-hmm. because the you know general standards that party was you know representing doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily exist based on candidate by candidate. So why should somebody vote Republican. Okay. Well, in my opinion, we've gone in the last 10 years, certainly at the end of Bush's uh, last couple years in office, and then with Obama in office for six years, we've gone far too leftward. We've got in a way of very large government, more people on the welfare rolls, more people taking uh, government subsidies than ever before. You've got crony capital businesses, the Solindras or what have you that are just existing off our tax money. Uh, we need, in my my feeling, we need to get back to the true intent of the parties and also re- reduce the size of government. And if it were up to me, I would kill every subsidy. I would put everybody on a, you know, as they like to say, a very level playing field. 
Uh, I don't believe in subsidies. I think that if you can't spend on your own, that you, you know, there's, you shouldn't be going to the government as the first line of uh, your your income. Uh, this should be the very last, and it should be a very temporary thing. So uh, mm-hmm. that would be where I that would be where I'd start. Okay. And you know what? That kind of ties into the question that I had for you, because one of the reasons, well, the main reason that we chose to do this show is because we wanted to give some clear, concise information to those people who are going to go out voting as to exactly what each party, um, their their goals and their values. So with that being said, and you kind of answered it, um, to those people who are out there, and I've talked to a lot of them, who just say that the Republican Party is just for wealthy people. Um, that they don't look out for the poor and they're going to strip away all of the assistance programs. Uh-huh. Um, so your reply to them, in your opinion, is you feel like they should be done away with? I think they should be replaced what with would work be your programs. Reply? I, I, I would say they should be replaced with work programs, with people. I, I just don't believe that people should be able to do nothing. You know, I don't think uh-huh. that's right. I don't believe people should be able to exist on your neighbor's dime so to speak. I think it's it's important, it's imperative that everybody have a reason to get up in the morning and do their part, whatever minimal part that is. So I just, I'm not a proponent of endless welfare. I think we've, um, LBJ really codified that with the Great Society, and it's gotten nothing but worse ever since. And I think you can directly look at the, you know, the groups in our country that are the biggest welfare users. It has done nothing but terrible things for their communities. So I would be one to say, turn that, use the model that uh, Clinton worked through welfare in his term, the model that they used in Wisconsin called workfare was an excellent thing. They got so many folks out the rolls, got them working. And I think ultimately, you know, I am sure every one of you has a job or a, or a passion you go to every day, and it's nothing but good for you in your lives, as do I. And uh-huh. I would want to, I would want to see every person in this country have that same opportunity to get up in the morning and have something that lights their fire to go to and make a living and then give a contribution to the country. And let me what? ask you this. Go ahead, um, Will. No, I was just going to say and listen to him because I agreed with a lot of that. But no, I, I've talked uh-huh. to a lot of people. I, I even have people in my family who are in situations um, – whether it be health-wise or whatever, where they're on those type programs and they want to work. Uh-huh. But if they work, you know, they have these kids at home, the money they're, they're going to make, they're going to lose the, the, the assistance right. that they do have. And it's like they're in that catch-22, they're in between loophole space. So I would mm-hmm. think that the whole system needs to be reworked, that if they're going to assist someone, um, I do agree that they should, have, they, they should participate, they should go to work, but um, they shouldn't have to work in lieu of having health insurance or being able to feed their kids or anything like that. So that's just my concern with that point of view of it. Sure. Well, and also to your question, is the Republican Party only the public or the party of rich folks? To me, that is a, how would you say it, that is a propaganda line that has been levied against them for generations now. Uh, The party Mm -hmm. that I know, uh, is a party of middle-class folks. Uh, there are certainly is rich folks, but I'm going to tell you, as we all know, there's a lot of rich folks on the left as well, and a lot of folks yeah. have got nothing but get richer as well. So I just don't think that exactly. label applies anymore. I think it's now 
I would get it back. Either you can get the Republican Party to go back to its original roots and its original intention, or I would certainly be willing to say spring off and do a conservative party, one that really held more to conservative values. And there we go with the blurred lines again. <laughs> yeah, right. I exactly. do want to ask exactly. you this. We have so many people, one of the things that they associate with the Republican Party is that many of its members believe we're headed down a very bad path under President mm-hmm. Obama. Um, yes. Do you agree with that, and can you give reasons why you believe that? Yes, I do believe that. Um, before President Obama was elected the first time, I did a tremendous amount of research, and I, I advocated that he not be uh, elected at that time based on that he had a terrible track record. His uh, preparation for the job of being a community organizer I didn't feel was a, a good uh, good resume item for a president. Uh, then being in the Senate, his, his uh, Senate record was extremely spotty. And I just feel that he was a guy that, um, and I think we can look at him now, and, and there's, the charge has been levied many times that he's got socialist leanings. And I would say if we use the model of European socialism, he truly wants us to go down that road. I just don't believe America, that is where America's future and its success lies. So if we use that model, I would say, yes, he's been a pretty bad president, and I would not want us to go any further down that road. Well, let me ask you this as well, because many people will say they they heard your arguments, but are you blaming too much on him and not considering how much he inherited when he stepped into office? Well, I'm with you when I say the last last year or a couple years of George Bush's pregnancy or his uh, presidency were terrible. Uh, He became the president of big government. He was uh, one of the the bailouts were terrible. Every move they made was a bad move back then. However, uh, every move we've made since that time would, in my eyes, and a guy who's in business, uh, works in the real estate development business, so I'm working with numbers all day long, they've Mm -hmm. made every move that I would not have made the most you know, the, whatever the right move was, they've done the 180-degree wrong move uh, fiscally. So, And along the way, we've all been very culturally estranged in that time as well. So I think we've never had as much division. We've never had as much problem with our finances and our economy. We just had a .07 quarter, was a, essentially a negative quarter. So we know all this printing of money, all this spending of money, is getting us further and further down a hole. So I would say economically, the proof is sitting right in front of us that all the moves made by the president and his party have been terrible uh, during that time. So certainly Bush, in the end of his, you know, did terrible, but they've continued bad policies all the way through. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, Michael, earlier in the show I was talking about a poll that I found on debate.org, and was basically asking people, should we have the political parties? And surprisingly, 78 of the, 78% of the people that were polled said no. Um, so mm-hmm. my question is, for, for thousands of young people um, who are frustrated with the system, and this particular study that had the, the largest amount of people saying no was between 18 and 25, 18 and 25, but for thousands of young people, the upcoming elections will be their first opportunity to vote. Mm-hmm. So can you yeah. very briefly 
speak to them on why it's still important for them to get out and vote, and in particular, um, vote for your candidate when they're in that. Okay. Well, my hope is that we have a truly conservative candidate to offer them and somebody that, that sticks with the fiscal issues and stays as far away from the social issues as possible because I, while I, I care about social issues, I don't think that's their, our priorities at this point. Um, let's say, for example, if Hillary Clinton were the nominee, she is going to be a continuation of bad policy. She is the ultimate crony capitalist uh, and it would be a terrible choice. And we have a number of terrible choices on our side as well. But the people will be who they're going to be at the time. Uh, I feel that after we'll have eight years of Obama, uh, we'll definitely need to make a change. Truly, the only group I think that are going to make a change at this point are the Republican Party or a conservative candidate. So I would say that's why for us to go down a new, stronger fiscal path, it really must be a party of the right or a candidate of the right. Hmm. And can you give hmm. us some examples, Michael, of social issues? Mm-hmm. Well, the in the Republican Party, they've been tagged with caring too much about people's bedroom. Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> believe that that's been something that you know, has been a, I think it's been blown out of proportion, quite frankly. Uh, certainly the gay issues are uh, very big for a lot of folks. But, I, you know, my concern is, uh, as a citizen of this country, uh, my concern is the balkanization that has occurred amongst all the groups, ethnic mm-hmm. groups, sex, sexual groups. Everybody is as split now, in my estimation, that they've ever been. And I would like to see that level of vitriol dropped and a focus on really the most important issues, which are, to me, fiscal. Because unless we get our fiscal house in order, none of this is going to matter. That's true. That is true. Now, another issue that keeps coming up as well is that there's claims that have been made from the right that voter fraud (laughs) is widespread and may actually swing elections. So do you agree with that? And can you explain how it occurs? Yes. Uh, so in 2012, I worked with a group called Election Integrity Project. They're a nonpartisan group that attempts to clean up the voting rolls in states. And what they do is take public data and give it to their volunteers, and the volunteers then look for um, anomalies, so to speak. So I worked for them. Uh, for a number of months prior to the election. And what I found was, after looking over tens of thousands of records, which were a, a particular home, how many people mm-hmm. live, how many people, actual adult voters lived in the home, that the vote, the number, the average number of the home was a two-bedroom home. The average number of adult registered voters in these homes was 14 all the way up to 52 registered voters in a one-bedroom apartment in Burbank. So in California, every registered voter can be sent a paper ballot. So after looking over tens of thousands of these records and seeing that there was an incredibly high number of registered voters in each one of these small, far in excess of the ability of, of the House to hold these many people, it's very clear that voter fraud is occurring there and that these paper ballots are being sent there 
once they're sent and they're in the hands of somebody, they can do it whatever they want with them. Uh, so that's one thing that I, if I were in power, I would end paper ballots immediately until a better system could be put forth. Mm. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, in researching the show, we do a lot of researching before we actually start to formulate things. But I also found out that the Republican Party um, was founded primarily to oppose slavery and eventually abolish it. Uh, the Democratic Party tried to maintain and expand the slavery and but by supporting the 13th Amendment only by 23%. So why now are the majority of African-Americans Democrats in? I think we saw a big shift after FDR. I'm sorry, FDR, but J, uh, LBJ. Uh, LBJ mm-hmm. basically drained the lockbox of Social Security and poured that entire money into the Great Society Initiative. And and it was uh, I think a terrible time for us because it really codified the welfare state, and I and it seems to me that a lot of um, you know African American folks have just they went down that path uh, of buying into the welfare argument that was made at the time, and I don't think we've made a lot of progress away from that, and it seems gotten have to have been gotten a lot worse, and my concern about the Democratic Party now is that they essentially buy votes with welfare and have continued to do that for, for decades. So, um, you know, I, I, I would love to be wrong on that, but, I, but the numbers, I think, tell a, tell a different tale there. Mm. And let me ask you this, with that considered, what advice would you give to those African-American voters to actually not vote Democratic but vote Republican? Well, I would say that there is, if if those folks wanted to have true growth in the country, we've seen now empirically, I believe, in the last number of years, that going towards the European social model shrinks the country. It shrinks opportunity. It shrinks freedom. And if people truly want to be free, you need a vibrant small business community, you need growth, you need all these things that grow an economy to grow opportunity for people. Uh, And at this moment, and I know hopefully it will change at some point, I just don't see that with the current group of Democratic leaders, that there are people that are going to take us down a path of growing the free markets. So I think instead of looking at parties, and, and again back to your blurred lines comment is a perfect one, until we can retrain our parties to tell them we want freedom and we want the free markets, we're not going to get more of that. And I think people are going to be trapped in that endless cycle of poverty and welfare until until the entrepreneurs in the country know it's safe to come out again and make a living. Hmm. Well. So, yeah. A lot of that that is a consideration. Well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, we were asking, I asked Alicia a question in our Hot Topics earlier, um, and the same question was asked in the poll. I want to ask you the same question. In your opinion, do you think America's political process would be better without political parties? No. Uh, I, I think it's a human nature thing. You know, we all know folks who their personalities will tend to sway them one way or the other. There's, I think there's a natural line of politics I know in California we have a lot of folks who are very liberal. Uh, they're very the, our environmental issues are very big out here. And I think their personalities lead them 
down a path that leads them to a certain place. To try to shoehorn everybody into one group, I think would probably be disastrous. And I and I know for a fact, if there were only one party, whoever were leading that party, it would be too great of a temptation to use the absolute power of that party. So I would never want that much power in one group's hand. Hmm. Okay. That's a that's a good that's a good observation as well. <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely, my friends. I think we know that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Well, Michael, we, we want to thank you so much, especially in traffic, uh, for calling yeah. you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but we definitely okay. want to know yeah. how can our listeners contact you if they want to discuss, you know, if they have further questions or they just want to discuss some of mm-hmm. the things you said further. They can go to my website, which is Michael Hoskinson. It's H-O-S-K-I-N-S-O-N.com. Uh, and uh, they can get my email straight from there and send me an email. Love to chat with anybody and love to come back on your show anytime. Awesome. Because I'm Thank sure you somebody so much. has we love to have you back. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one, one thing we didn't talk about was in this last election cycle, we helped a good uh, group get in our city council in our town in Huntington Beach here. I'm now on the planning commission of our town, so I'm looking at uh, politics from the inside. So I've got a lot of great stories to share with you on that. Mm. Awesome. Well, that would be good because awesome. definitely information. Yeah, we're going to definitely have you use. back. Definitely. Yeah. Very good. Well, again, so enjoy your evening and may traffic breeze by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm home now, so it's all good. And listen, thank you for your time and love to talk to you and uh, look forward to the next time. Thank you. All right. Take thank care. you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wonderful. All right. That well, great. that was some really yeah. good information. Very good information. information. I was um, taking notes. I was taking notes. Good. Because, <laughs> it's you know, it's some, wow. I mean, it does give clarity, but there's still some things that, you know, mm-hmm. you would like to explore a little bit further. And actually, yeah, we're going to do yeah. that right now um, because we have a gentleman on the line, and some might call it a blurred line, but he calls himself a libertarian that's in Republican skin. So I am going to let Mr. Eric Beasley actually tell us what does that mean. But, Eric, welcome to the show. How are you this evening? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, you know, could you explain to us what, what that means, being a um, uh, libertarian in Republican skin? So um, actually, the previous caller kind of touched on it, and uh, very vaguely, though. So basically, the Republican Party started out as the party of liberty, the party of the, the rights of the individual to, you know, in the 1850s, it was the right to not be a slave. Um, in the 1950s and 60s, it was the right to use whatever restaurant or downtown you wanted. You know, in the 1920s, it was the right for men and women to both vote. And so um, when I say that I'm a libertarian in, in Republican clothing, uh, what I'm really referring to is that I, I am what you call a classic liberal, where it is the, the rights of the individual are always the – that is the most paramount issue and the most pressing matter that we have to address. The, the individual rights always trump everything, in, in, in my hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. So this is Will. So, what, in your opinion, what does the um, the Libertarian and the Democratic parties have in common? Well, 
libertarian libertarians agree with Democrats when they're acting like actual Democrats, I guess. Um, so okay. a lot of times de- Democrats have made this shift since the 1960s towards more of a like a statist um, is, is the word that Mark Levin uses, um, where it mm-hmm. is government is the answer to everything. Now, mm-hmm. where the libertarians and Democrats agree is on those handful of issues where there's um, – an individual right that they actually protect, so something like gay marriage, uh, something like police brutality, militarization. Um, those are all issues that I find myself agreeing with Democrats all the time and definitely angering conservatives. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Earlier there was some mentioning of, of government control and, and liberty. From, from the libertarian perspective, what is the difference between individual liberty versus government control? Uh, and so, I mean, I can give you a really good example. Um, there's actually been okay. cases out in Nevada, for, um, for instance, where people have put up rain barrels, and basically the government comes by and says, you cannot do that. Now, the, the reason being is that somewhere like Nevada, um, the, all of the water that comes out of the, the water table out there, it comes from rainfall and snowfall. And so in those instances, the government basically came by and said, we are going to ban you from keeping water that falls on your property. Now, in this instance, mm-hmm. it is the state that is doing this. It is the state of Nevada. It is not the federal government. So in, in, as an example, while that individual does have the right to have their own property, they have the right to you know, put a building up or put a fence up, something like that, um, the state also has a vested interest. So this is one of those issues where you have to parse that line between the rights of an individual versus the rights of everybody else around you. So if everybody in Nevada started putting up rain barrels, what would get created is that eventually you would start having less water available for public use in that area. So this is an example of where, okay. you know, the, the, the phrase that I always use is the individual's rights end when somebody else's begin. Now, what role does the government have in that? The government shouldn't have any role in that as far as I'm concerned. I don't think that it's the government's job to tell somebody what they should do. So the government should not be telling people um, anything from you, you, you cannot engage in a contract which allows you to share assets and make medical decisions for each other. That's something also known as marriage. And they should not be able to dictate who you engage in that contract with. Okay, I have a question about that. that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, so how would that transport? Let's say if that was in Nevada, um, and mm-hmm. if you're talking about the marriage situation, and then they moved to another state where that wasn't the situation, how would that work? How would that be? Um, fair to the citizens. Well, see, and, and therein lies the fundamental issue. So, you right now, states are or marriage is controlled by the state, and what you have is you have this like hodgepodge network of different laws. You know, I remember um, I, um, I I actually got married in Savannah with my my first wife, and one of the questions on there was, "Are you cousins?" Okay, like oh. apparently you can marry your first cousin okay. in Georgia now. That's, you know, so if you think about it, if you marry your first cousin in Georgia and then you move somewhere, technically your marriage could be invalidated. Okay, so that right. issue exists right now. It's just in a very uh, a non-socially acceptable manner. Um, as, mm. Like I said, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think the government should have any business 
and something like that. The gov- to me, you know, an ag- a marriage is an agreement between two individuals. Now, it could be we could be talking about marriage. We could be talking about the right to sell property. The right, uh, you know, it, we could be talking about I'm coming to you know Will over here and saying I want to buy a thousand tchotchkes. Um, mm-hmm. The government shouldn't be able to mm-hmm. tell me whether or not me and Will make an agreement, a contract, to buy tchotchkes from each other. And so that's you know, and and this you know this people don't realize the level of government control that that we face every day. Um, I'm sure you guys you guys ever hear of Gibson guitar? Yes. Um, no. So they're 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 a big uh, you know guitar manufacturer. They've been around yeah. for many many years. Um, back in 2009, Gibson guitar was raided by the um, by Customs and Border Patrol because they got some anonymous tip that Gibson was uh, re- using illegal wood to make their guitars. Now, what the government did was they came in, they confiscated all of this so-called illegal wood, took it away, and never gave it back. Even though the wood was from a legitimate source, a legitimate importer, the government came in, and Gibson was basically punished, because at the time the CEO of Gibson uh, donated to John McCain, and it created this big hubbub. So, see, that, that's what happens when you have government control. The more government control mm. you have, the more that the government can be used as a weapon against citizenry to punish or reward behavior. Um, your previous caller mentioned it too. On the flip side, you have or, uh, things like Solyndra, where a friend of the newly elected administration received $500 million for their you know, soon-to-be-failed business as kind of a kickback. And so that, mm-hmm. that's the situations you see with this government control. I mean, when, when, when somebody has that much power, of course they're going to abuse it in some way, shape, or form. So for, for me, you know, the go- get the government out of all that. Okay, get the government out of education, out of, um, you know, the government should not be in the renewable energy business. Like, that's a job for the free market. That's a job for business to do. It's not the government's place to say, I like this company. I'm going to give them a bunch of money so that they succeed. Or I'm going to take this company's assets so that they fail. Hmm. And just to be fair... Everybody's done that. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Mm-hmm. A lot of these policies have they, they existed under President Bush, they exist under Obama. They've been around since before I was born and they're constantly used to punish enemies and reward friends. Very interesting. Okay. okay. Yes, very. very interesting. You know what? I, wanna, I, I, I just I just paused. I just paused. I wanted to ask you a question. You just said something. I wanted to ask you a question. Then I said I was not going to ask you the question, but I want to ask you the question. You stated you just said Mr. Obama. Why didn't you say President Obama? <laughs> That's a really good... or was it? <laughs> uh, we could call that Freudian slip. I mean, honestly, the, the the way that I feel, and this is with both Bush and Obama, is that I don't I don't yeah. feel like they represent me at all. I don't feel like that they ever did. Okay. I mean, I. I feel like in a lot of ways that, you know, people like me get punished because of their policies. I'm, I'm considered the enemy. Um, you know, I, I guess, uh, um, I guess as as a little bit of background. So I was, I was in the army for eight years. Um, I also, I deployed to Iraq back in 2006. And so I'm, you know, I'm pretty familiar with, I guess, the government workings, if you will. Um, you know, I remember when, when, uh, it was 2009, uh, right after Obama had come into office, um, there was a report like put out by DHS, which was basically saying that veterans like me, um, people who had been to war and people who had a right-leaning ideology were at high risk for becoming terrorists. Okay, mm. this is a paper published by the DHS. 
Uh, you can hmm. go. It's on. It's on the internet. Uh, it's public knowledge. And I have to say, like when I first read that, I was, <laughs> I was kind of taken aback because here is my so-called commander in chief who basically said, "I'm afraid that you're going to become a terrorist." despite the fact that I just spent the previous, you know, six years fighting terrorists. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I personally feel extremely alienated. And so I, I really, I understand he's the president, you know, if I was still in the military, I'd follow his orders, but I don't think that he really represents the people or, you know, especially, especially folks that are in the military. I hear from them all the time, old buddies of mine that I was, you know, overseas with. And there's, there's a lot of disdain, uh, constantly, and it wasn't. And don't this is this is Bush too. Um, that you know we have these this this ruling class of elected politicians that are pretty much ordained into office versus being elected, and you know the little mm-hmm. guy pretty much just gets forgotten about. We get ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, I can respect that. I can respect Absolutely. That. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, man, I'm, the, not, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy. You know, I mean, like I said, he is the president. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a little alienating. You don't feel like he represents you, right? Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. I, I've always yeah. wanted to ask people that question when I hear them say that. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I can understand why you do that. Okay. Right, and that's, you know, the clarity we want from all different perspectives. Um, so that's, exactly. that's very interesting, especially with that report. Um, definitely will have to go mm-hmm. check out that information. Um, but, you know, Republicans advocate a more active role for the government, and they do disagree with President Obama's reduction in the defense budget. Um, they say more money should be spent in this area during time of growing threats. And then, you know, libertarians will argue that the U.S. should end this policy of foreign intervention both the military and the economic aid, and we would do a better job promoting peace in the world. What is your stance on this since you're a libertarian, but you also identify with your Republican side? So as I kind of alluded to earlier, this is a very personal issue for me, having mm-hmm. having been part of this, uh, you know, overseas policy, if you will. Um, you know, I have I have many friends who I went to Iraq with and I fought with, and I really hate the idea that everything that I did there is kind of being invalidated. Now, on the political side of it, um, the first thing is, is you would not believe the absorbent amounts of defense waste that happens in the budget. Um, at, my, at one of my units, we had, we called it the million dollar broom closet because the government had ordered a, a new system and it failed miserably. They spent like $10 million on this thing and we actually mm-hmm. used it as a janitor closet. Like it was literally a broom closet that cost $10 million. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, that, okay. How, how many people could go to college off of $10 million? You know, the kind exactly. of thing that I, mm-hmm. how I look at it. Now, and this is this is rampant across the entire Department of Defense. Um, you have bloated contractors. You have you have contractors making four times as much money as the soldiers who are doing the same job. Okay. Right. So what's this? You know, and and what happens is, especially I, I was in a, in a in an IT field while I was in the military. So people like me would get out of the military, go work as a contractor, you know, quadruple their salary, and still do the same thing. So instead of, like, say, the military trying to retain good people that knew what they were doing, they let them get out, become contractors, and they had to pay more in the end for them. So little things like that, though, yes, the defense budget needs to be reduced. There is tons of space for that. You look at some of these, like, um, the F-35 uh, joint, joint fighter program. You know, there are 
I want to say that there's production for that program in 40, more than 40 states. Like, it's a total crony, like, hey, I'll vote for this if you put the manufacturing plant in my district. Um, that's, what, that's what this is all built on. So you need to just, just wipe that out, okay? The whole DOD procurement system needs to be overhauled and needs to be overhauled now. And that will save 40% off the DOD budget. Easy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as, I guess, um, you know, overseas intervention, um, like I said, that's a – Honestly, some days I wake up and I say, let's just go you know, kill all the bad guys. And some days I say, let's just stay home. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it, it depends on the day and how much coffee I had. Um, but <laughs> I do think that, you know, there, there is hands down a time and place for foreign intervention. Okay. And mm-hmm. people don't realize it, but we have tons of examples of successful foreign intervention that created stable democracies. We have the Philippines. We have Japan, we have Germany, we have South Korea. Those are all places that the United States invaded at one point. We annexed, we put bases there, we created democracy, and in all of those four countries, we still have bases there. Okay, we haven't, mm. we don't have an exit strategy from a war in 1898. <laughs> and so, you know, mm. so, so some of some things need to get put into perspective here. Now was our basically fostering of democracies in those areas good for the overall world? Was it good for the United States? And the answer is yes. Okay, look at South Korea is is a booming country. Germany has been doing amazing. The Philippines, they're still fighting with Muslim extremists. They have been for 100 years, but they haven't given up. They haven't been taken over. And so those are examples of where the U.S. can intervene and do it right. Now, and then we fast forward to, you know, Vietnam. And, you know, the Middle East, even the Middle East is a mixed bag. You look at Kuwait. Kuwait is a, is a relatively stable country in the area. We, we rescued them in 91. Then we have places like Iraq, which, you know, my, the old base that I was at it has, has been overrun by ISIS. And so, you know, there, there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And I don't think we should be running around trying to be the world's policeman. You know, I don't want to have to go back into the military. I did my time. And if we keep going around being the, the, nation, the world's policeman, I'm going to have to go back in. And so, mm-hmm. But we, we need to have a policy. We need to know what we're doing, know what we're getting into, and actually think about it before we vote to send people overseas to fight in a war. Like, mm-hmm. wh- how are we going to do this? What's our long-term strategy? Instead of, like, this willy-nilly mm-hmm. cowboy stuff. Yeah. You know, I can agree with all that. I've always yes. asked those questions myself. I've always asked those questions. Um, I asked Michael the same question I'm going to ask you right now. For thousands of young people, um, the upcoming elections will be their very first opportunity to vote. I want you to very briefly speak to them on why they should vote your way. Well, the reason you should vote my way is because everybody likes their individual rights, okay? You like the fact that you can walk down a street. You don't have to show your papers. Um, you know, you know you, those mm-hmm. individual rights are what protect you. Now, I would never tell somebody to vote for a party, okay? I, I would tell people vote for a candidate, okay? Yes. Find a candidate that believes in your individual rights to do what you want to do. And, and, that's, and the thing is, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's, you know, talk in public or walk down a street or buy a gun or demand a warrant before you let a, an officer search your car. Every one of those rights mm-hmm. is your right, and each one of them, no matter how much you agree or disagree with them, should be defended because that's the whole point of the individual rights. 
Like and, you know, I think you hit <laughs> okay. the nail on the head right there. Um, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, and, you know, you're looking at the day when you're actually going to vote. Um, the emphasis was on a party. Um, but now, you know, the past few elections, my emphasis, of course, I'm older now, but emphasis has completely changed on the candidate. Because as we talk about the lines being blurred, it's less and less about the party. It's definitely more and more about the candidate. Um, so awesome observation. It really is the candidate and those people that have your rights. But I wanted to ask you, too, those that believe in Libertarian Party, who is their candidate so far? <laughs> well, okay. This is, of course, a controversial topic because the Libertarian Party is kind of like the rebel party. Like, we don't, right. there is a formal Libertarian Party. Um, but I know, at least, um, I live in Maryland, and so there's actually a very strong Libertarian presence within the Maryland Republican Party. Um, we've been doing that on purpose. Um, we're trying to get the, the Republican Party back to its roots, back to how, mm-hmm. you know, the, the days of Eisenhower. That's what me and others like me have been advocating for. So, what I would tell you right now, I guess, as we're talking presidential stuff, hands down, I'm a Rand Paul guy all the way through. You know, you guys, you guys might have seen the news. He's, uh, he, he's, he's basically single-handedly stopped the, the U.S. government from uh, collecting all of your cell phone data today. Yeah. Uh, he's been doing that for Uh-oh. weeks now. Um, he, he, okay. it, it, it's funny because he, his, his line about it is great. He says, okay, if corporations are not people, then why should the government be able to put a name of a corporation on a warrant and get all of the information from that company? That's what the government's doing. They're putting Verizon on a warrant, and they're saying, give us all your phone records. So every Verizon mm-hmm. customer now has their, all of their cell phone data given over to the NSA, put in a big database, and now you're being snooped on and suspected of being a terrorist without any sort of probable cause. So right. that's the kind of stuff that I look for in a candidate. I look for somebody that's going to stand up to that. I look for somebody that – what I look for in a candidate, because there's things that I don't agree with, but you know what? They're in the, they're in the Constitution. They're a right. I'm going to defend it. I don't care how much I agree with it or don't. Yes. And that, that's awesome. what I would say to look for. I, I, I had to laugh for a minute there because when we were um, at dinner earlier, the name Rand Paul came up. <laughs> and I'm not going to say which dinner guest was in favor of Rand Paul, but I tell you, you warmed one of our hearts. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Eric, and, and look. And look, when it comes to the issues, you got if you you look at what he's been doing. Okay, he is trying to stop the militarization of police. He is actively against police brutality. He's trying to reform the justice system so that you know, um, so that people that have you know a little baggy of weed don't get thirty years in jail. Okay, he is all about the individual. Okay, he obviously doesn't agree that smoking pot necessarily the best thing to do, but he wants to make sure it doesn't ruin your life. And right. that, that's what I want to focus on. Like, that, that's, to me, that's what I want to see in my politicians. Sounds hmm. good to me. <laughs> but, yes, Eric, yeah. you yes, know, yes. yeah, very interesting. <laughs> Just like mm-hmm. um, with, with Michael, there's going to be people that would love to talk to you. They would love to maybe ask you some questions about some of the things you said. How will our listeners get in contact with you? And so the easiest way is uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty okay. active on there. Uh, my handle is at Eric Beasley, three, three, and then a W. 
Okay, and that was at Eric, Eric Beasley, which is B E A S L E Y. And you said three three W. Yeah, um, three 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 W is my old uh, MLS in the army, my old job. So gotcha, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, we thank yeah, you um, for for coming on and definitely clarifying yeah. a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And really, and if anybody has any questions, just let me know. I mean, I I love talking about basically why libertarian is awesome. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> Okay. You answered a lot of questions for me, so you, you have my wheel turning in my head. So, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> but. <laughs> good. Well, again, I always Eric, like converting a few people. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being yeah. on the show. Hopefully we can call on you again in the future, Eric. That would be nice if you can come back, too. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks for the uh, invite, guys. Sounds good. No Have problem. a good night. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Wow. Good. <laughs> you know, I, I, good. it's just like each guest just gets better, and, and there's more, you know, there's there's clarity, but then there's more questions. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Awesome. But, you know, we have to be fair. We have to be fair. We've heard oh, yeah. from the Republican Party. We've heard from the Libertarian Party. And when we come back mm-hmm. from commercial, we're going to hear from the Democratic Party. And I am yes, 100% yes, confident yes. that this is going to give even more clarity and show a whole different side as well. Uh, so you're listening to Let's Face It. And when we come back, we'll be talking to our Democratic representative, Mr. John Houston. Listening to Let's Face It, one of the hottest talk radio shows on the web. Are you looking for more exposure for your brand, product, event, or special story? Let's Face It Radio is the place for you. We're also seeking guest experts specializing in sex and relationships, health and wellness, politics, law, spirituality, and religion, just to name a few. Looking for low cost marketing opportunities? Well, look no further. We offer multiple advertising campaigns via website ads or audio commercial opportunities played live during the show. Visit www.letsfaceitradio.com and complete the appropriate contact form for more information. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen, high blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke, and you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, those of you out there in Radio Land. This is Alicia Brown, the Joy Guru, and I hope you're listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. If you follow the show, you know that we always have something crazy going on, and you've probably seen that other side of my personality. But in addition to being a radio host, I'm also a motivational speaker, author, and joy enthusiast. One of my greatest works was the book, Sometimes All You Have is Happy, A Guide to Obtaining Happiness While Awaiting Your Dreams. I'm asking you to join me on this journey to empowerment. The book is a magnifying glass to enable you to identify the roots of your unhappiness 
as well as the necessary steps to live in victory. As someone that suffered from childhood abuse and thoughts of suicide, there were lessons I learned along the way that enabled me a transition from being a victim to a victor. This book includes thought-provoking questions and exercises to enable you to take the beginning steps to reclaim the happiness, peace, purpose, and joy and power that you were designed to have. We cannot conquer what we refuse to face. Joy is a choice, but it should not be optional. Choose joy today. For more information, visit me at thejoyguru.net or go to amazon.com to find out more information on how to purchase your copy. All right, welcome back to Let's Face It. Um, We've had an awesome show so far, and like we promised, we are coming back with Mr. John Houston. Uh, John is a member of the Hampton Democratic Committee, Hampton, Virginia, that is, and he's also a campaign manager, and we are so delighted to have you on the show this evening. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing wonderful, and uh, yeah, I will say this yeah, in advance: we're, we're being fair. But I had uh-huh. a lot of questions from people about you are going to represent the Democratic side, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they've been waiting for you. <laughs> and, yes, and I would have it no other way. So yes, you are here. Um, I wanted to start by asking you: what do you, in particular, like about the platform of your Democratic Party? Such as the beliefs, the values, you know, the main goal of the Democratic Party. What do you, what what drew you to that party, and why do you like it so much? You know, um, you know, what drew me to the Democratic Party was um, mainly because they advocate. They're the only party right now that's advocating for middle and working class people. Um, they're also the only party that's really fighting for social and economic equality, things such as uh, marriage equality, funding public education, uh, rather than. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see states like Louisiana, they're funneling public funds in the private charter schools, which is depleting the resources that are necessary to have a strong uh, strong public school sector. Um, mm-hmm. Things such as environmental protection policies. Um, and mainly, I'll have to say, uh, the way Democrats go about international relations. Um, you take Republicans, for example, their main thing, they're very combative in front of, uh, take Iran, for example. Uh, their whole push was, Hey, we can't negotiate with these guys. Let's. There was actually calls to new Iran. Um, but take Obama's uh, President Obama's way. Uh, he actually worked out a deal mm-hmm. with the Iranians, which was great. Um, we also formed uh, trade partnerships with other countries rather than again being confrontive. Uh, so you can take uh, former President Clinton when he formed NAFTA, and uh, currently President Obama with the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. So um, mm-hmm. really, what drove me there was. Democrats picked up the progressive banner that Republicans left by the wayside. Um, the Republicans did start off as a progressive party with presidents like Abraham Lincoln and Teddy, Ro- uh, Teddy Roosevelt, fighting for civil, liberty, uh, civil liberties, fighting for uh, economic, economic equality, working with uh, labor unions. But uh, along the way, they dropped that banner, and Democrats were quick, uh, Democrats were quick to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, you know, one of the frequent criticisms um, that some would have for the Democratic Party is that its leadership 
and its military defense strategies they say are too weak, um, the party's too liberal, and uh-huh. that the support of the middle class and the poor is bankrupting America. You know, we heard earlier about all of these um, welfare programs should be stripped. What is your response to those criticisms? You know, first, when it comes to military defense strategies, I, I don't think that argument holds muster anymore. Um, take President Obama when he first came to office. He kept Robert Gates, which was the Secretary of Defense appointed by President Bush. Um, not only did he did that, but he doubled down on many of the policies that uh, President Bush did have while uh, in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that President Obama did do, though, he did scale back our ground troop enrollment in both Iraq and Afghanistan, especially after we accomplished our mission there. Um, but what he did do was he dramatically increased the use of drone, uh, drone warfare. So while we aren't involved militarily uh, with ground troops, even though our forces aren't there as heavenly, we are still involved in those countries. So, um, you know, that argument that we're weak on military defense, I, I don't think that mm-hmm. that's one that applies to us anymore. But um, mm-hmm. when it comes to our support of the middle class and poor bankrupt in America, that's just factually not true. Actually, uh, the government spends more money on corporate welfare, uh, welfare subsidies than they do on social welfare programs. And that's not even including the uh, the bank bailout of uh, of 2008 during the financial crisis. Mm. So, so yeah, that's you know it's, those arguments just don't hold true for the Democratic Party right now, and the facts just aren't there to back it. And that's a good point that you you said about the support of the corporate welfare versus the individual yeah. welfare system. That's something that you, when that argument is brought up, you you don't hear about that. Oh, yeah, you don't. And um, actually, to pull up those numbers, um, this is the last statistic they had. Corporate welfare was more than double social welfare programs. So a vast majority of money gets our welfare subsidies go to corporations rather than people, not counting tax breaks. All right. So, John, as I asked the other guests, for thousands of young people across the country, the upcoming elections, it will actually be their very first opportunity to vote. So, in your words, can you briefly speak to them on why they should join the Democratic Party when they go to the polls? You know, young people today should join the Democratic Party and vote for a Democratic candidate. Um, I would say for two reasons. One is that we're now the party of inclusion. Um the Democratic Party has a long and active history in fighting for uh, civil rights, LBGT rights, immigration rights, all the way back to the 60s. Um, we're also the, currently the only major party that stands for individual liberties and in making sure every citizen has an equal opportunity under the law. Um, I'd say the, the second major reason would be because we're fighting for a fair shot uh, just to create, to create greater educational and economic opportunities. Um, I would have to say, contrary to what many conservatives say about Democrats and progressives, you know, our party isn't about taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor. It's more about creating an equal playing field, creating equal opportunities so people can achieve their American dream. So not necessarily the mm-hmm. same outcome, but just making sure that people do have the opportunity to uh, succeed. That's what, so if you take uh, Baltimore, for example, a lot of people think it's race-based, it's about police violence, but a lot of, I'm from Maryland, uh, just put that out there. I'm from Maryland originally. But a lot of that stems from okay. people just not having opportunities. And the only way to express their voice under those circumstances was through, though it wasn't the best way to do it, was through violence and destruction. 
So that anger, it bubbles up. It's, uh, it bubbles up, you would have to say, every 30 so years when something like this happens. And it's all economic-based. It's not necessarily race-based. Okay. So uh, that's, okay. yep, that's one of the things the Democratic Party stands for, just making sure that uh, we have equal opportunities for people, not necessarily equal out- outcomes. Right. Well, you know, another argument, um, many people mm-hmm. say, and we've heard it in the show already, that we're headed down a bad path with President Obama. Uh-huh. What is your take on that, and why do you believe it? Whatever your your stance is, why do you believe that so? No, for for most issues, um, I would have to disagree with that for most issues that we're heading down a bad path for President Obama. I've got to say, since he's been in office, we've passed health care reform, covers over 16 million people that were previously uninsured. Um, we've passed the Dodd-Frank Act, the uh, Consumer Protection Act, all those things to regulate the financial sector so we wouldn't have another financial class like we did in 2008. Um, he's passed the Levy Ledbetter Act, which is fair pay for women. He repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He stopped the Bush-era enhanced interrogation techniques, which uh, greatly improved our uh, reputation overseas. Uh, when it comes to environmental, environmental protection, he passed new laws for environmental protection. Uh, increased the fuel efficiency. He's funded the VA. He's changed our whole public school nutritional program. Unemployment has fallen 5.6 mm-hmm. to 5.6 percent, the lowest it's ever been since the depression or since the uh, recession. And it's actually lower than the average rate of unemployment. Corporate profits are up. The stock market is doing better. Has reached record highs. Um, you know, since President Obama's taken office, things have actually skyrocketed. They might not seem that way because of all the negativity in the news, but um. He right. pulled us out of this recession, and he's done some great things for civil liberties and uh, and economic opportunity. That's true. That is absolutely true. And I, I like the point that you made. It may not seem that way in the media. Uh, one of the things we really need to look at when we're discussing the topics, especially of politics, um, is that we have to really look at the issues and examine the candidates because we know that media can manipulate things one way or the other. But that's not necessarily the entire story. So we have to be really careful, really careful about that. But I did want to also ask you, you know, there's claims that have been made from the right that voter fraud is widespread and may actually swing the elections. Um, And I've seen things where, you know, we'll have a story where, yeah, the Democrats use this to get that person in office, and then other times it's the Republicans use voter fraud to get the person in office. Um, Do you agree with that, that, you know, voter fraud is widespread? And if so, what do you think we can do to combat that issue for the upcoming election? You know, the data just isn't there to support that. Um, Voter voter, uh, fraud just isn't widespread at all. It's pretty much a non-issue. Actually, there's a study from the Department of Justice that said out of uh, 197 million votes that were cast in federal elections from uh, 2002 to uh, Mm -hmm. 2005, only 40 votes were only 40 voters voters that is were accused of voter fraud. Out of that, only 26% of those cases resulted in a conviction. That's point zero 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 zero. That's six zeros. One three percent. Okay. <laughs> That's how often voter fraud happens. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty much a non-issue. Um, you know, to me, it just comes across as an attempt to create another barrier of entry for uh, citizens to vote. And um, since a lot of these voter ID laws have come into effect, they've disproportionately affected groups like African-Americans, Latinos, uh, young people, elderly, people with disabilities, 
Uh, people that just don't have means to get IDs or who just never in the past needed ID, mostly uh, elderly. Um, you know, and these voter ID laws serve to only stop voter impersonation at the polls. And like I just said, it it rarely happens, rarely. And if it does, it, it's only convicted 20, only 26 times in the past three years or between 2002 and uh, 2005. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, yeah, we know is. that you're you're a member of the Democratic Committee, and you're also a campaign manager. So I'm not That's asking right. you this question for that role. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, as John Houston, who's going to go to the polls, or, I, you know, I won't even say it's John Houston. I'm going to say it's just your average, regular citizen, if you, you're taking mm-hmm. it completely off yourself. The upcoming election, and those who have put their name on the ballot or put their name in the hat and say they're running so far. Would you say that the next election you predict that you would vote for the candidate or do you really feel like there is a Democratic forerunner that shows promise? You know, personally, I, I just like the last uh, caller, I, I'm not big on voting party lines. So for me, it's all, it's all about the candidate. Um, we have some, on the Democratic side, there are some progressive candidates that came out. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who described himself as a socialist, is to the far left of the party. Uh, we have Martin O'Malley, who was the former governor, governor of Maryland, who just came out. He's trying to position mm-hmm. himself in between Hillary and Bernie. So he's still to the left. Uh, Hillary is more of your mainstream candidate. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I'm leaning towards Martin O'Malley. I was a, a resident of Maryland when he was governor. I love the things he did, he accomplished there. Um, he was able to push through the uh, Medicare expansion form, which was huge. Saved a ton of money. Uh, in Virginia, mm-hmm. that's a huge problem right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now in Virginia, 400,000 citizens are uninsured because we can't get Medicaid Medicare expansion through the uh, General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now, I'm, I'm leaning towards... I'm leaning towards more of the Senate-left candidate, I'll have to say. Very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I like very. So I have, we have one final question with you. Um, earlier in the show when Alicia and I were having our table topics, I was telling her about a poll that I had found on debate.org, and the question was presented, should we have political parties? Because initially, as I was telling her from an article that I had read on the Huffington Post, that our original founding fathers, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander Hamilton, it was never their intention or desire to have two separate parties. So my question I'm going to ask you is, do you feel that um, America's political process would be better without two separate parties? You know, I, I don't believe so. Um, you know, political parties play a huge role in our democracy. Um, what it allows people to do is come together, people that have common interests to come together to organize and to push their views forward so they can take action on them and make them a reality. Um, to me, what would make the political process better, since we do have a two-party system, would be mm-hmm. more inclusion of third parties, um, more opinion, more options, because there's nothing in this world that's black and white. There's always a gray area. And it would be great to have right. views from the Libertarian candidates or the Green Party or uh, the Liberty Party. Um, but a huge right. thing that's corrupted the two-party system right now is there's just too much money in uh, politics. Um, and after the Supreme, the Supreme Court case, uh, Citizens United, which opened up 
corporations and other groups such as super PACs that spend unlimited amounts of money completely just co-opted the system. Because now you can have a small group of people um, that have unequal access to the candidate just because they have more money than the average citizen. So now they have a bigger microphone. Mm-hmm. They can get their view across, and everyone else is drowned out. So, um, you know, it, it, there's there's blurred lines with it too. Going back to just the topic of this uh, or the title of this conversation, blurred lines. Um, you know, a lot of young voters find themselves crisscrossing between parties. Like the last caller said, he he described it as a libertarian. He's kind of a libertarian or kind of Republican, but more of a libertarian. Mhm. Right. A, right. Lot, a lot of young girls are kind of that way. Um, right. You know, I I agree with the civil liberties platform of libertarians, but I also agree with the social economic policies of Democrats. Um, okay. Things such as Citizens United. I find myself talking to libertarians about it all the time, and they agree there's just too much money in politics, and that's what's co-opting the political oh. party system. But overall, it's it's a great system. It, it works because it gets people's voice across. Okay. Who otherwise wouldn't have a way to get their voice out there. That is so well, John true. John, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for calling in and being a part of yes. the show. You have definitely given a lot of information. Um, is there any way that our listeners, if they want to contact you, um, perhaps on social media, you can get in contact with you and your organization? Oh, uh, the best way to get in contact with me would be uh, my personal email, actually, which would be uh, okay. John John John.Houston the letter V, at gmail.com. Are you saying V is in Victor or D is in Victor? V is in Victor. Okay. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you again for calling in. Hopefully you will continue yeah. to tune into the show. We have a lot of good topics coming up. And in November, we're going to have um, you guys back. We want to ask you guys to come back for a special show we're going to have in preparing for the election. So um, yeah, hopefully be- you'll be able to take part in that as well. Thanks for calling right. in. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, Thank good you. All right, you too. Take care. Wow. Wow. Excellent information, Alicia. Well, I would say the lines information blurred, but yes, they really? they represented each party well. So that's always good. Always are we going to share? Are we going to share? You sound like well, you yeah. sound like you was about to share some of. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no, not no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. You know why I am going to share it next week. <laughs> no, you oh, yeah, won't. Please do that. Please do that. The things, I, <laughs> the things I do for this show, I tell you. But I'm not yeah, telling right. you this week. love you. Okay. Yeah, okay. I do. But I'm not telling you. No. Thank next you. week. Next week. L- wonderful topic. Wonderful topic. Wonderful person. Uh, Peggy Selfin. Or excuse me, Silfen. Yeah. I'm messing up already. Um, she is mm. a professional development coach, wellness specialist, speaker, author, and former journalist from New York City. And I love her book. The title is Escape from Anxiety, Supercharge Your Life with Powerful Strategies from A to Z. And actually, that book will be published on June the 11th. Um, so, you know, she spends her time helping people to overcome both big and small frustrations in life and challenges. And she's going to share some of her personal trials um, and how that motivates her to become certified in a variety of different life areas, including yoga. Um, She has a successful, Mm. she left a successful advertising agency to actually focus on assisting others through their trauma, 
stress, anxiety, and physical pain. And she even has a stress buster system, an integrated life plan um, that she's used for many individuals as well as companies throughout the U.S. Um, so we are so excited to have her on next week. And, you know, after we came from the event that we came from, and even before, yeah. you know, all the things that we do both for the show and our yeah. personal life, yeah. there's always uh-huh. that anxiety that's going to come. New challenges. Yeah. Well, new yeah, I already told you. Well. I have social anxiety, <laughs> terrible times 10. Yeah, in but small groups show. or right here, I'm good. But you get me in a group of <laughs> 20 or more and you're going to find me in the corner somewhere. I tell you, so hopefully she's going to be able to bring me out of this next week. You and yeah. me both. <laughs> we have the same. Yeah, exactly. I noticed that. Terrible. I watched you this weekend. I noticed oh, that about you. You were, were comfortable. You were comfortable at that table. You were comfortable oh, at that table. Oh, but you know what? Yeah. I'm making yeah. deals now. I got some good information and contact. But you're right. I am okay. comfortable Wonderful. in the smaller <laughs> section. Yes, I don't like the big crowds. But I'll speak in front of well, them. Well, awesome. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So we're excited about well, that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a good week, Alicia, and we'll be speaking. Hope all of our listeners got a lot of information that was shared, yeah. and it can help you make an informed decision, because that's what this show was all about, so that you can go Absolutely. to the polls and not just vote Democrat, because that's what you know, but you can actually right. go vote your party based on the issues and if it's fulfilling your purpose and your needs. Right? Absolutely. And you'll so, actually know what the issues are. And their platform. Exactly. 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 So hope everyone have a good week coming up. I am your host, Will Strayhorn. And Alicia Brown. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.